Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Ashley Smith. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the blessings of heaven. They are so innumerable. You are so great towards us, Father. The mercies that you give to us and you each and every morning, great is thy faithfulness. As we open the scriptures this morning, we ask and pray that you may open us. Father, we prayed it before and we pray it again. We need you so much. Speak to us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the book of Revelation. Um, We finished on Revelation chapter 5. Now, I was thinking, are we going to go through the seals and the trumpets? I think maybe I might come back to the seals later. The trumpets, I might do that in an afternoon workshop for those who want to come along to that. It's going to be very difficult to preach that. So I thought that we'd just skip a bit and find our way to Revelation 10 and start working from that point onwards. I find that would probably be easier to preach than going through those bits and pieces through the book of Revelation. Um, So today's message is on Revelation chapter 10. And looking at what it is when we see in Scripture this little book being opened. Um, I invite you to open with me to Revelation chapter 10. I haven't preached in six weeks, so I'm a little bit rusty and my clicker is not working at all. So I'm going to have to tell you, Peter, when to go to the next slide. We'll go to the next two slides. Okay. When you find yourself in Revelation chapter 10, we're going to start reading the first four verses. I could go with the benediction right now, to be honest. I could go to bed. Verses 1 to 4. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. In Revelation chapter 10, we see an angel, a mighty angel coming down from heaven, And there's something interesting about this angel. There's some interesting characteristics that this angel possesses. And the question I want to ask you this morning, this more so is a Bible study than anything else this morning. Who is this angel? When you look at the characteristics, and let's see if we can remember those characteristics. Number one, it's a mighty angel. Number two, not only is it a mighty strong angel, number two, it comes in what? It's coming in the clouds. Number three, it has something about its head. And what is that? It has a rainbow. It doesn't just have a rainbow, but what does the countenance look like on this angel's face? The sun. Its feet are like pillars of fire. And it roars like what? It roars like a lion. And here you see the, the seven thunders coming from his voice. This is a very interesting angel, isn't it? Very intriguing angel. We see the cloud, we see the, what's the next one? The rainbow, then we see the sun, the pillars of fire, and it roars like a lion. I want to show you a few verses that can help us unpack as to what this angel, or who this angel is. We'll go to the next slide, Peter. The one just before. Yeah, this one. That's supposed to be Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. 
It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. It's very interesting when you look at God. And when you look at God, you find that he continually finds himself in the clouds. God moves with the clouds. I'll give you a few examples. In the book of Psalms, it says that his chariot is the clouds. In the book of Exodus, when the Israelites are camped around Mount Sinai, what's on top of Mount Sinai? A great cloud. When Jesus is taken up from the sight of his disciples on his ascension after his, after his death, he goes up into the clouds. When he comes again, he's coming in the clouds. You find that God constantly is in the clouds. So this angel who is clothed or is clothed in the clouds is giving us a symbol of divinity. It's more than just an angel. It's a very special, holy messenger. He comes with a rainbow. Now, I don't have to share too much about this because from the story of Noah, we know that God gave a covenantal promise to the world that he would never flood the earth again. And that covenantal promise was symbolized in the rainbow. When we looked at Revelation chapter 4, we find that above God's throne is a rainbow. A rainbow of promise. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13. God says this to Noah. He says, I set my rainbow in the cloud. You notice how he says it's my rainbow. It's my sign. It's my promise. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this rainbow that's above the head of this angel is a demonstration of God's faithful promises to his people. He's the son. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, Jesus is seen as having a face, a countenance that was like the sun shining in its strength. I'll just direct your attention to another story in the New Testament where Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James and John. Do you guys remember that story? As he's on top of that mountain, he is glorified. Peter, James, and John see Jesus in his glory. Peter wants to make a a sanctuary, a tabernacle for him. And Elijah and Moses is there and God says, This is my beloved son. Hear him, Peter. Stop talking. But Jesus' face was shining just like we see just here. So this angel has a face which is shining like the sun. He also has feet of fire in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, talking about Jesus again. It says, His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. You're starting to get a picture just here of who this mighty angel is. And then in verse 5, we see that he speaks as a lion. In the Old Testament, often God's judgments are seen as coming from the voice or the roar of a lion. And that kind of makes a little bit of of sense because it's roaring, it's loud. God's wanting to get a message across. He's wanting people to listen, to take notice. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 8, this is what the Bible says. It says, A lion has roared, who will not hear? The Lord God has spoken, but who who can but prophesy? God communicates in judgment often through the voice of a lion. So we have these five points. We have him coming in the cloud, a sign of divinity. 
We have a rainbow above his head, which is a sign of his covenant promise, which is above the throne of God. We have his face shining like his countenance, shining like the sun, which Jesus was in Revelation chapter 1. His feet like pillars of fire, Revelation chapter 1 again. And then point number five, he roars like a lion, which God often does in the Old Testament when judgment is about to be given. I don't think there's any ambiguity. I don't think there's anything... Sorry, I'm just so... Anyways, I don't think that we could determine... Oh, man. Lord, help me. It's Jesus. It could be no one else. You don't see an angel described like that anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere. It has to be Jesus. It can only be but Jesus. And Jesus has something in his hand. What does he have in his hand? It's a scroll. It's a scroll. Now, I'm going to have to take these verses from the top of my mind because they're in my sermon notes, which are at home. But jump with me to the book of Ezekiel because a lot of the language that we find here in Revelation is borrowed from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, we're going to have a look at the experience of Ezekiel. Now, the cool thing about Ezekiel is Ezekiel was sent to be a prophet to the children of Israel in a time when judgment was about to be had upon the house of Israel. And God says some very specific things to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 3. Ezekiel 2 and verse 3. God says this to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man. I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impotent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. When a prophet comes to give a prophet's message, is the prophet's message usually received or rejected in the Old Testament? Is it accepted? Often it is, but is it more often rejected? Yeah. But as time progresses, as time elapses, and the fulfillment of what the prophet has said comes to pass, do they perceive that person to be a prophet? Yeah. They do. But in the meantime, the contemporaries of the prophet usually throw contempt upon the prophet and even kill the prophet. But looking back, and Jesus even said this to, his, to the Pharisees in his day. Remember, he says, which of the prophets have you not killed? A prophet's message isn't usually received. And the question I want to ask is why? Do prophets usually say pleasant things? They usually don't, do they? And I think that's a good thing. Because if I read my Bible correctly, it says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. You are not acquainted with your heart as much as what God is. God knows the naked self. He knows what we are at our basis state. He loves us all the same. But God is the great improver. 
He's the improver and perfecter of our faith. It says that in the book of Hebrews. So when God sends a prophet with a prophet's message, it's actually a message from God himself, and he wants to break through the steely heart of the human. I'm glad for prophets. I'm glad for their messages. Sometimes I'm not. But I have to deny myself and realize that God's way is best. In the book of Ezekiel, we see this progression of thought coming. Jump with me down to verse 7. The prophet has a message. Verses 7 to verse 10, look what it says. It says, You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. The prophet has a message, and what is this message when you see it in verse 10? Lamentations and woe. What kind of message do you think that is? You think it's like, oh, I can't wait to actually preach today. He's preaching on lamentation and woe. No, no, it's, it's a message of judgment. Did they need a message of judgment? Yes or no? I mean, they did because Babylon was breathing down their necks. They had rejected and rejected and slighted God's prophets, and now God could do nothing more to help them. And he let them go. He gave them up. And we see that God has given Ezekiel a message of judgment. Look at this. We all know the story quite well because we have hindsight. We look back and we see that they rejected the message. But look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 3. I seem to find these verses. Okay, verse 7. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to read through to verse 9. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. In other words, don't be upset, Ezekiel, if they don't listen to your message. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. Rejecting the prophet's message is rejecting the one who has given the message. For all the house of Israel are impotent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead against their foreheads. And that's a little bit weird. Um, I don't know what that means. But anyways, like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Did God know that his people reject the message? But did he send the message anyway? Yeah? It reminds me of a text in the book of Corinthians where it says, Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. Love never fails. Although he knew that they would reject his love, he also knew that he was hanging on to hope. Even though he knew the end from the beginning, he would send the message anyway. Imagine God coming to you and saying, Dave, I want you to go and preach. No one's going to accept your message. I want you to go and preach. Would you be discouraged at that instruction? I would be absolutely discouraged. But look at what happens as a result of Ezekiel's preaching and message. Jump to Ezekiel chapter 9. And I'm hoping that you're seeing parallels with this, with modern day Israel, 
with the church. Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub. Now this is talking about the sanctuary. God had left Israel at this point. He dwelt in the holy place between the two cherubim. So God's glory had left the sanctuary, the temple, where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. This is the point just here. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. This is God's people. Even in the midst of rebellious Israel, there were people who heeded the message of Ezekiel. There were people who listened to the messages of the prophets. There were people who put their trust in him and who allowed the power of God to so change them and to keep them faithful to his name that they were sealed, that when judgment came, they were the remnant who endured. It's borrowing a lot of language, or Revelation, sorry, is borrowing a lot of language from this text here, isn't it? God's people in the end who are faithful to his message, who are faithful to his truth, who listens to the words of truth and believe in them, will be sealed by God as they endure the final conflict as Babylon comes. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that remarkable? I want to encourage you this morning because often we don't like what prophets have to say or what God has to say because often it reproves us. You know, when someone says, what's your favorite text? Oh, John 3.16, powerful text. Oh, Jeremiah chapter 30, 31 and, and verse 3, I think it is. Or Jeremiah 33 and verse 1, you know. Or oh, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Beautiful text. Have you ever heard someone that just like says, the lion has roared. Judgment is coming. That's my favorite text. We don't like those texts, and there's good reason why we don't. But they're in the Bible. Why are they in the Bible? Well, they're important. They're important. Someone please pull those blinds up. You know, they're actually really distracting me. Um, I've lost train of thought now. Okay, I've got an illustration. Most people here, if not all people here, have been to school before and have sat some kind of exam or some kind of test. The teacher will come into the classroom one day and will say, okay, we're having a test on this subject. Now, you may not agree with what the teacher has said, but a test is coming. You may say, oh, I disagree, teacher, that we're having a test. And you can voice your concern as I often did in school when an assignment or a test came. But at the end of the day, the teacher is the teacher and the teacher will do what the teacher would do. The test will come and you have a choice. Will you study or will you wing it? Some of us tried to wing it. It didn't work out very good. Some of us studied and sometimes that didn't even work out very good. There is a great test coming, church. The Bible says it plainly. The teacher is a teacher. God is God. And what God says will happen, will happen. And we see it happening right now. 
The choice that we make today is a choice that will determine our readiness for it. Will we believe what God has said and trust to him and allow the power of his spirit to so change our lives that we are walking with him every moment, listening to his voice, trusting to his counsel, relying upon his word. We trust to the sinfulness and the deceitfulness of our own hearts. The Bible tells me that in the end that there will be a faithful people who will be sealed. God has a remnant throughout this world. We don't know who they are. There are people in Mwollombar, probably at Coles right now, that God's going to call. Isn't that cool? And the rebellious house of Israel that we see here in the text, many won't be sealed. The scripture says it very plainly. So my encouragement for you this morning is to trust in Jesus and to cling to his word. At a time when the children of Israel, when judgment was approaching, they would rather smooth messages of peace instead of the true faithful word of God. I tell you what, we are living in times, we're living in contentious times. That should cause us for alarm, but at the same time, peace that knowing our King is coming. And praise the Lord, He's coming. We all want to go home. And as we continue through the book of Revelation chapter 10, I'm not finished yet, I almost finished up there. I probably should have, but I want to show you the parallels between Daniel chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 10. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. I want to read a few scriptures. Actually, no, before we do that, let's turn to Revelation. Yeah, let's turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 10 and verses 5 to 7. Okay. We all there? Okay. Revelation 10, 5 to 7, the scriptures read this. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he is declared to his servants, the prophets. Really cool imagery just happening here. I want to jump immediately to the book of Daniel because I want to show you that this is paralleled... um, 500-odd years before this is written in the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 12, the very last chapter in Daniel. And when we're there, can we say, Amen? Amen. Daniel 12, verse 4, look at this. I want you to see the parallels. I'm not going to verbalize all of them. They're on the screen for you to see. I'm just going to read them through. I'm just going to verbalize a couple of these parallels. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times and half a time when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered and all these things shall be finished. Can you see some parallels there from what we've just read? So here we see swearing by heaven. 
We see Michael. We see a book is shut. We see standing by the water. We see a period of time. And we also see a trial and a test in verse 10, which I didn't read. What's really intriguing to me is that what Daniel 12 closes off with is what Revelation chapter 10 picks up. In Revelation chapter 12, we see this book being closed. In other words, what you have written, Daniel, does not concern you at this point in time. Or a lot of it doesn't. Or a lot of it does, but some of it doesn't. Seal it because it's for the time of the end. It's for the people at the end. They will understand it. Hindsight's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, when you look at Daniel and Revelation, you're just like, man, how would you ever come to an understanding of these things before they even happened? You look back and you see it being fulfilled in history, but imagine trying to predict those things before history had even happened. Pretty crazy, hey? So that's why it wasn't for Daniel's time, a lot of it. I mean, Daniel 2, that was understood even before the time of Jesus. The early church believed in that as well. Daniel 7, the progression of the beast, the early church even believed that as well. Daniel 9, they believed that that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus, coming at the appointed time and dying at the appointed time. Those things weren't sealed in the book of Daniel. I mean, Daniel in the lion's den, that wasn't sealed. Christians and, and, and Jewish people have known that for years. There is only one book in the book of Daniel that was sealed, and you find that in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 26, where God tells Daniel to seal up the book for the time of the end. That's what's being sealed. So what's being sealed in the book of Daniel chapter 12, when God says, okay, Daniel, as you sign off your book here, you're sealing this book to the time of the end. We jump forward a thousand, two thousand odd years, and this book is being opened in Revelation 10. Daniel chapter 8. It's really remarkable, actually. It's profound. I want to show you the parallels of these two time prophecies here. Look at this. It's almost identical language. In Daniel 12 and verse 7, we see that this one swears, this man swears by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a times, times and a half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Revelation 10, 6, look at this. He swears by him who lives forever and ever. That, that's very similar, isn't it? It's almost identical. There should be no delay no longer. The only difference about revelation from Daniel in these two texts is that Daniel was looking forward. Revelation is looking back and saying the time has now come. They're separated by 2,000 odd years. The time has been fulfilled. There is delay no longer. The times, times and half a time has been finished. And I don't really have time today to get into this. We'll look at this as we continue through Revelation. But this time of the end, as you take the times, times and half a time, it stretches all the way to 1798 because it's concerning the holy people who have been shattered. Their persecution comes to an end. As I've been in Europe and as I've seen a lot of the sites for the Reformation, it's very confronting going to the places where people were burnt at the stake. To go and see where, where, where Cramer, Latimer and Ridley were burnt at the stake in Oxford. I was, I was there almost this time last week. At the very spot. So you've got the, the road that runs down and in the middle of the road there's this, there's this exposed cross in the middle of it with old um, cobblestone around it. And people are walking past it as if nothing had ever happened there. 
completely oblivious. But their people, they sealed their witness with, with dying words being burnt at the stake. You know, I think if there was another man in Scotland, I can't remember his name, but it took six hours for him to burn at the stake because the wood was so green. But he was faithful. Were God's people persecuted throughout the Dark Ages? Absolutely. And as the times, times and half a time comes to an end, God's people dedicate themselves, commit themselves to the preaching and the proclamation of his message and of his word. And this is exactly what we find. In the early 19th century, we find a... Well, actually, I'll read this before. It says, Since 1978, the book of Daniel has been unsealed. Knowledge of the prophecies has increased, and many have proclaimed the solemn message of judgment near. When was this prophecy fulfilled? I was saying in the 19th century, many people turned their attention to the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 8, that sealed book, just as God has said. I've read through um, two volumes of Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, and this constant theme that's coming out from the Christian church, from the time of Jesus' resurrection all the way through to where we are today, is they commented on Daniel 2, they commented on Daniel 7, they even commented a little bit on, well, they commented a lot on Daniel 9. But there was a lot of silence on Daniel 8. Isn't that crazy? Just as God had said it was, but then as we come to the 19th century, people start to speak about it, just as God had predicted. Is that confusing to you? Is that confusing? Do you reckon you can look at that and understand what's happening? The 19th century comes and there's a preacher by the name of William Miller. He's a Baptist preacher and he starts to preach from his study of the book of Daniel. After many years of study, he believes that Jesus is coming. Very, very shortly as he looks at the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8, he applies the day for a year principle and he arrives at his conclusion. This is a chart that he was using. But we know what happens. 1844 comes around. Does Jesus come? No, he doesn't. He doesn't come as they expect. Now, should this concern us that they set a date? Yeah, probably. But was their time prophecy wrong? No, it wasn't. When Jesus was dying at the cross, were the disciples disappointed? Did they have the right Messiah? Did they have the wrong event? The wrong kingdom? Yeah? And out of the ashes of their disappointment, they go back and study the scriptures and their preconceived opinions fall away and they realize that Jesus was the Christ but his role was completely different to what they expected. They took some preconceived ideas into the, this, this understanding that Jesus was coming in 1844 and they thought he was coming to cleanse the earth from fire but it wasn't the earth from fire, it was the heavenly sanctuary and Jesus' intercessory work in the high priestly role in the most holy place and they came to understand that through further study I want to show you something really cool from the text jump with me back to Revelation chapter 10 you see this bitter disappointment of God's people expressed in very clear words in Revelation chapter 10 yes they shouldn't have set dates for Jesus' coming absolutely we've all made mistakes haven't we 
How often have, have you got something wrong when it comes to the Bible? Yeah? I always do. In Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 to 11, it speaks of their experience. Let me just say something. Does God lead us in our ignorance? He leads us in our ignorance. And I'm glad that he does. All of us, including myself, are ignorant. How many people here have all knowledge of everything? Okay, so you're ignorant of something. (laughs) I don't know how to change nappies. I'm ignorant of that. But one day, one day, I will no longer be ignorant of that. Revelation chapter 10, verse 8. Look what the scriptures say here. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the scene on the earth. I find it really remarkable that it even specifies, Go and take the open book which signifies that at some point it has been closed. As I was preparing this sermon, I was at the airport awaiting a 14-hour flight. And you constantly get these things going over the, um, the speaker system. Um, departure Lounge 32 is now open and ready for boarding. Or Departure Lounge 48 is now closed. Mr... John Smith, can you please make your way to departure lounge number 42? It's open or it's closed. If the departure lounge was perpetually open, they would have no reason to say that it was open or it is closed. See, what would be the point of saying departure lounge 38 is open if it's always been open? Or departure lounge 38 is closed if it's always been closed? They say when it's been opened or when it's been closed because it's changing. Book of Daniel chapter 8 was sealed, it was closed. It's then opened again at the time of the end. Okay? Look at what happens just here. So John in verse 9 says, So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. John goes to this book. You see actually in Ezekiel chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 how Ezekiel eats the book, the scroll that God gives him. I didn't have time to read that. What does it mean to eat the scriptures? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Receive the instruction. Believe his promises and align your life with the counsels of his will. Here's this book, Daniel chapter 8. They come and they study it. They assimilate it into their life. Do they believe it? Do they believe that Jesus is coming? Did they sell everything? Did they preach extensively? I mean, one of the, one of the most widespread preaching missionary endeavors in the history of Christianity from coast to coast in America in a matter of years. Remarkable. People from Baptist backgrounds, people from Catholic backgrounds, people from Congregationalist backgrounds, people from all these different spheres of Christianity, even atheists were joining this movement believing that the Lord was coming, but then he didn't. Would that be a sweet message if tomorrow you knew Jesus was coming? We're going home. 
That'd be exciting. Sweet message. Jesus coming, sweet, beautiful message. But then what does it become in their belly? Bitter. The day after, how do you reckon they felt? We have accounts of the experiences of these people which virtually says we wept until the morning we had nothing left to weep anymore. Were they sincere? Was God leading them? Were they wrong? Had we ever been wrong? And out of the ashes of their disappointment, many of them go and they study the scriptures again and God says, out of the ashes of your disappointment, I have an appointment for you. And that's the take-home message today. You may have come to church disappointed, but God has an appointment for you out of your disappointment. At your greatest griefs, at your greatest sorrows, God has a future, God has a hope. There is a purpose for you in your life and God can make beauty from ashes. He says, I have a mission for you. In verse 11, and look at this. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues and kings. The three angels' messages. Go forward, study the scriptures, see where you were wrong, reapply it, and come and proclaim this message so we can go home. Spread the message like wildfire. Spread it like autumn leaves. Get the message out. As I've been overseas and I've seen these Christian movements and people who've stood up for their faith regardless of the consequences, as we went to the Waldensian valleys and as we went to the caves of the Waldensians where they would sing praises to God, the caves in which they were ratted out of and they were thrown off the cliff, women and children and men, to their death. I think of the pure message that they had and the mission that they had towards the world in proclaiming this gospel message. But as we went and as I sat in their church, and I shared this with some of you in Sabbath school, and as I sat in the church, the Waldensian church in Torre Polici today, church about the same size as this one, I asked the tour lady, I said, how many people come to church here? Do you know how many each and every week? About 70. About 70. And there's only little pockets of them around the world. There's not many. What happens if you forget your mission to the world? Your message becomes irrelevant. There is a great joy that comes to Christian from sharing what God has given you. Number one, it saves your soul. Number two, it saves the souls of others. And it makes you eternally relevant in your community, in your family, in your sphere of influence. If you don't have a message to give, then I'm sorry, you don't have a message at all. Salvation bears responsibility. And the gospel that saves us is the gospel that ought to compel us. Not through force, nor through coercion, but through the motivating principle of God's very nature, which is love. This man is John Knox. It's actually a sculpture of him. And as I close, he was a remarkable man. He was sent to the galleys because he believed in Jesus. And he was there for two odd years. They lived in the gap for two years. They were on this boat. They would sleep sitting up and they would just row the boats. That was their lot. He eventually escaped. He went to Scotland and this was his prayer for the nation of Scotland. Give me Scotland or I die. Scotland was won over to the Protestant faith. Powerful, isn't it? 
powerful what so many people in times past have been willing to do. They realized that their salvation bore them a responsibility to bring the good news to others. Friends, we have a community, we have families, we have friends who don't know the joy that we have, who don't have the hope that we have, they don't have the peace that we have because they don't have the Jesus that we have. Do we have a message, church? Do we have a message? Then we have a responsibility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've given us a responsibility to prophesy again. Father, we thank you that you lead us in our ignorance. We thank you that you do not deal with us as we deserve, but Father, that you are faithful and that you are good towards us. Father, we thank you that we can find ourselves in prophetic history. We thank you that we can find our roots and our identity in the church in the wilderness through the dark ages, through the apostles from Pentecost as they preached, and even to the Advent movement in the early 19th century. Father, we are a progression of a great line of witnesses. And Father, we ask and pray that this morning we may be a part of that great succession ourselves. Give us a flame, give us a fire, give us a burning passion to radiate Jesus to those at our workplace, to those at our home, and to those in our community. May people see Jesus in us. Give us a burden for the lost, not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. We pray. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3ABN that is radio at the number 3 ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. earth 2,000 years ago, he said in John chapter 5 verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. Jesus also said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If Jesus said this about his human nature, how much more does it apply to us today? Jesus confirms our helplessness to save ourselves in John chapter 15 verse 5, where he said, without me, you can do nothing. If it behooved Jesus to seek his Father's will and to rely on his Father's strength, how much more should we also seek the will of God and rely on his strength? Then we can claim the promise of God in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm Etienne McClintock for In a Bible Minute, where God can change your life in a moment and in the blink of an eye.
walking down the road to Jerusalem. The time had come to sacrifice again. My two small sons, they walked beside me down the road. The reason that they came was to watch the land. And they looked up at me and they said, Daddy, Daddy, what will we see there? There's so much that we don't understand. So I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. And then I said, Dear children, watch the land. For there will be so many in Jerusalem today. We must be sure the lamb doesn't run away. And I told them of Moses and Father Abraham. And then I said, dear children, watch the lamb. When we reached the city, I knew something must be wrong. There were no joyful worshipers there, no joyful worship songs. So I stood there with my children in the midst of angry men. And then I heard the crowd cry out, Crucify him! We tried to leave the city, but we could not get away. Forced to play in this drama, a part I did not wish to play. Why upon this day, men condemned to die why were we standing right here where soon they would pass by I looked and I said even now they come the first one cried for mercy the people gave him none the second one was violent he was arrogant and loud. I can still hear his angry voice screaming at the crowd. And then someone said, there's Jesus. I scarce believed my eyes. A man so badly beaten, he barely looked alive. Blood poured from his body, from the thorns upon his brow. Running down the cross and falling to the ground. I watched him as he struggled. I watched him as he fell. The cross came down upon his back and that crowd, they began to yell. In that moment, I felt such agony. In that moment, I felt such loss. In 
Till a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and he screamed, tried to resist him then his hand reached for his sword and so I knelt and took the cross from the Lord I placed it on my shoulder and started down the street the blood that he was shedding was running down my cheek led us to Golgotha they drove nails deep in his feet and hands yet upon the cross I heard him pray Father forgive them oh never have I seen such love in any other eyes into thy hands I commit my spirit he prayed and he died I stood for what seemed like years I lost all sense of time until I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine my children stood there weeping when I heard the oldest say Daddy, please forgive us, the lamb ran away. And they looked up at me and they said, Daddy, Daddy, what have we seen here? There's so much we just don't understand. So I took them in my arms And we turned and faced the cross And then I said Dear children Watch the listening to Watch the Lamb with Greg Barron and Seth Lucas and before that you were listening to Near the Cross played by Danny and Tommy Shelton coming up next Alabaster Box with Marlita Fong The room grew still as she made her way to Jesus She stumbles through the tears that made her blind She such pain some spoke in anger heard folks whisper there's no place here for a kind still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his She poured her love for the master from her box. 
This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.